Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. Thank you for joining me today. I've got a returning guest here to discuss a very important topic, something that I feel is especially relevant to what we're dealing with today. And this is a topic that we've spoken on in the past. Returning guest, David Meiswinkle, who is the President Executive Director for the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. And this is discussing the anthrax story. And we've gone into this quite a bit in the past, but he's here to discuss some new developments on this story. So thank you so much for joining today, David. Thank you, Ryan, for, for having me here. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to have you. I mean, this is the kind of information, despite being so incredibly relevant and going through legal processes that just do not get discussed by the mainstream media, which is really staggering because of how important this is. And again, to reiterate that I think this story really, and David and I were kind of talking about this beforehand, this is something that if the fact that it wasn't dealt with properly, that it was ultimately seemingly covered up, I feel strongly that that is why we're dealing with what we're dealing with today in regard to COVID-19 and a lot of other things. So let's start off today by by basically talking about what we went over or kind of starting where we went from in the past. We went over this in our past interview, but can you start off by briefly kind of explaining the process that you're undertaking right now and why it ultimately why you're going through this process, you know, a redress for government misconduct. Right. Uh, as, as you know, that uh, the Lawyers Committee is dedicated to transparency and accountability, uh, reference the government in the investigations of 9-11, the crimes of 9-11. And uh, we've uh, done things in New York City. We have a litigation going on right now, reference the World Trade Center towers, and that they were brought down by controlled demolition. We're trying to get that evidence into the court, and we're in, we're in a lawsuit right now. We're in a lawsuit now, too, down in Washington, D.C., on the 9-11 Review Commission. And the uh, first lawsuit is against the U.S. Attorney. The second is against the FBI. This uh, is a petition we just filed uh, a few weeks ago with Congress, and it asked to reopen the anthrax investigation because we've done an, an investigation on our own for the last eight months. We have an anthrax committee it's comprised of four attorneys, uh, a, a number of professional investigators, a number, uh, a doctor who is basically uh, very familiar with anthrax and another doctor from uh, the university. So uh, we have been looking at this uh, situation and we've given Congress now uh, 435 of the, uh, the representatives in the House and 100 senators, I believe, uh, U.S. senators, uh, the uh, executive summary, which is three-page summary, which outlines what our findings are and, and a 76-page petition along with 69 documents. Some of the documents have never been seen before. Basically, what we're saying is that uh, Bruce Ivins, he's the uh, individual that eventually was fingered as the uh, the uh, lone wolf suspect uh, that he uh, committed these uh, attacks. That's the government saying that, uh, uh, that he did not do that, <laughs> that he was incapable of doing it for a number of reasons, that he was scapegoated and that the evidence, if it was ever put at a trial, would have showed that he was not guilty of committing those crimes. And that the uh, people or the institutions, organizations most responsible for that anthrax attacks, which included the killing of five people, the injuring of 17, an assassination attempt on two US senators, that those individuals, those organizations, which were the likely suspects were never looked at. We're also asking Congress to get involved because we don't believe the Department of Justice can really investigate this. Uh, it can't investigate the FBI, can't investigate itself. So we need a special uh, uh, counsel to get involved there. And just to uh, highlight too, what was going on back then, 9-11 had just happened uh, within a week of 9-11 on uh, sep uh, approximately September 18th. Uh, letters were sent out uh, allegedly from Princeton, New Jersey, and uh, they were sent to uh, Tom Brokaw, CBS News, uh, New York Post, NBC, ABC, and then uh, another batch of letters uh, was sent out uh, a, a few weeks later, and this was during the time when the, uh, the Patriot Act was being pushed, and it's a time when uh, basically the, uh, I believe it was Tom Daxel or, or Patrick Leahy, both of them, we're told by uh, Dick Cheney that he wanted it uh, approved by October 5th, wasn't approved by October 5th. On October 9th, however, anthrax attack uh, was launched on both Leahy and, and Daxel. And uh, on the eight, October 15th, uh, uh, Daxel's, uh, one of the people in his office opened a letter and was contaminated. Meanwhile, uh, a fellow named Robert Stevens who worked for American Media uh, down in Florida, in Boca, Florida, 
he died from anthrax. There was apparently a letter sent down there during that period of time that alerted everyone October 5th when he died that uh, there was really an anthrax attack going on. So yeah. that basically bring you up to speed a little bit. There's a lot in between, a lot that happens then after. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot going on in this story for sure, and it's still up in the air as far as I'm concerned. But it's important to add to that that I think we touched on last time is that these these were two people specifically that were, you know, dragging their feet in regard to the Patriot Act, and that's ultimately some of the theorizing ideas here is that the that ultimately after that it was you know seemingly no problems. I mean, that's a lot more to that story as well. But that's ultimately the way it panned out, and so you have to wonder whether or not. It, as this continues to kind of materialize into something that seems far more fishy than that should have been, you know, as far more fishy than many other things we could point to, if you should, we should be asking the question of whether there was some nefarious characters here in regard to trying to pass something that they would otherwise not be able to pass. That's something that has historical precedent in this country. But I'd like, I'd like to start first with the, the petition discussion, because you talked last time, and in just this whole story, about how evidence and, and previous efforts by, by your group and others, it, that this, it's just showing us that the FBI was seemingly purposefully dragging their feet, covering up facts around the case. So how difficult was it just to get this petition in, in front of people that need to see it? Well, it, it, what it takes is a lot of work to, to do the investigation and to try to pull all the pieces together. Uh, one of the, uh, the key things we did, we, we talked to some of the people, including Richard Lambert, uh, for three and a half hours. Now, Richard Lambert was the head of the investigation, the FBI. He was the inspector in charge for three and a half years, or four years. And uh, he left there and he wrote basically a, a critique, 2,000 page critique. He's very upset and uh, because he was being obstructed himself within his own agency. And it's in uh, the 2,000 pages, 16 of those pages, had to do with Bruce Ivins and the exculpatory evidence associated with him because he was. He was a little bit upset they were trying to finger him at that time. So uh, we uh, talked to him and he uh, advised us, if you want to get a hold of this document, you'll probably have to go to Congress to get a hold of that document. Now, we also made uh, good incursions into uh, USEMRID at the United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. That's Fort Detrick. Now, Fort Detrick, normally you say, oh, my gosh, Fort Detrick, you know, that's uh, you get a lot of negative vibes that people have in the past. In this regard, uh, it, you know, what we found out that uh, Fort Detrick was being actually being victimized, that their scientists were being looked at in a way that, uh, see, at Fort Detrick, they didn't make uh, this type of powdered anthrax, highly sophisticated anthrax. They concentrated on liquid anthrax. So they didn't have the equipment or the knowledge to do it, and the FBI know that. Since, and, uh, since you brought it up, I was going to ask you in regard to the, the, the Dugway, uh, I think it was the Dugway Proving Grounds, in regard to where they tested these things. So you mentioned that in the petition in regard to what you're, what you're discussing there, that they're ultimately it showed that, and there's people that are testifying to this, that ultimately they didn't have the ability to do so, right? And, and in regard to where it ultimately came from. And so you're basically making, you're basically, you're saying ultimately that they used Fort Detrick as a way to essentially frame the, the location and the individual there? Is that what you're, is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, we're saying that certainly. Uh, what happens near the beginning, the FBI get involved, they get a, a, an assessment of the uh, material. Now this anthrax that, the, uh, that Tom Daxel got, no one had ever seen it like anything like it in this country. Uh, it, on one gram of this anthrax was a trillion spores. So let that sink in how fine this was. Under the microscope, they were all clumped together. There was no space in between. Normally when it's not a pure and refined, there's like debris, like waste product and stuff there that scientists will see you know, under microscopes and when they blow it up. On this, it was totally packed. They had not seen anything like it. And it, it was so fine that uh, it was energized so that it was almost like a gas. So that's particularly lethal because uh, this is, there's three types of anthrax. Inhalation is the worst. There's cutaneous where it touches you and you get a, a black lesion and there's digestive anthrax. But this was by far the worst. So if you've got a little of it in your lungs, you're in, you're in trouble unless you get an antidote right away. So uh, basically what uh, Daxel got and what Leahy got was this super weaponized anthrax. And uh, 
that was what, uh, when Battelle came in to look at it on behalf of the request by the FBI, they were playing it down. They were saying this is 10 to 50 times less powerful than what the Army's saying. And the Army officer is going, he's going bonkers and saying, what are you talking about? He says, you took this stuff and you autoclaved it. You turned it into uh, hockey pucks. In other words, they distorted the evidence to analyze the evidence and came back and said that there, you know, this stuff's no big deal. Now there was two types of uh, anthrax that came. There was a browner, cruder, uh, it was a more granular anthrax, the first uh, uh, launching that went to a broke call in New York Post and the media, uh, which would kill you, uh, but, or could kill you certainly. But this anthrax, the second launching was, was a super, super weaponized. So it seems like there was basically two preparations at least there to, uh, to uh, you know, to, to send it out. And, and you had mentioned in this, the, the discussion of, well, actually, before I even get to that, I wanted to ask you a question in regard to the bioweapon aspect of this. So first of all, it's quite clear that even in their own research or, you know, what are the story that the narrative that's being paint, paint, uh, painted that it came from Fort Detrick as we're being told, but that in itself means it came from the U.S. government. So this is a weaponized version of anthrax. I mean, it wasn't really a secret, but we know that it's very clear that they're working on weapons and not just weapons with the extent, with the direction of trying to reach vaccines. I just well, think that's an important thing to well, bring here's up. Here's the thing, though, within the reference in that, that time frame, they weren't supposed to be doing anything offensively with mm -hmm. anthrax. There was a, a weapons, a bioweapons treaty that was actually uh, authored by Francis Boyle as an attorney out of the University of Chicago and a friend of the Lawyers Committee. And uh, what it apparently was happening, and Battelle wasn't uh, being you know, upfront at that time, neither was the FBI. They were working on three uh, projects with the CIA having to do with anthrax. One was called Clear Vision, one was called the Bacchus, and one was called Jefferson. And uh, in order to, to do those projects, and of course they were secret projects, but, uh, or top secret projects, uh, it seems like they had to convert some of this anthrax into uh, weaponized anthrax or, or an offensive anthrax. Uh, and that was supposedly having to do something with the Soviets at that time had amazing capabilities to produce uh, and were producing uh, their own uh, bioweapons in smallpox and anthrax and things of that nature. So there was a, a scientist that worked at, at Fort uh, at named Richard Spertzel, and he was one of the world's experts. And he said, uh, Ivans, of course, didn't, couldn't do that. He didn't have the knowledge. He says, there's only four or five people in the United States that could do that, and I'm one of them. So then you look at maybe William Patrick, who was the uh, basically the father of the bioweapons industry, Perhaps he could have done it. Ken Alabik, who was a, a Russian defector, a very high level, who was working, I believe, in that Battelle, uh, perhaps he could have done it. And then that leaves only a few more possibilities, right? Now, the key thing here was, and what they were trying to do is, is say that Fort Dietrich was involved, and in particular, Bruce Ivins. Now, this has come about right away. Uh, their initial uh, attacks were on Al-Qaeda and I Iraq. Uh, right when 9-11 went down, the articles were all talking about the newspapers about the involvement of uh, Iraq and uh, through uh, Al-Qaeda, etc. And eventually this was uh, basically undermined because through uh, analysis, uh, apparently a, a professor or scientist, Paul Keim, at Northern University in Arizona, Ar Northern Arizona University, he uh, detected it as he was an expert as Ames anthrax. Ames is, a, is an American weapon strain. That's, that's ours, that's our baby. And uh, the betonite, which would be in Iraq's anthrax, it wasn't there. What was there was silicone. And silicone was used to uh, probably, along with tin, to uh, make it really refined and dispersible, you know, making it an aralization, so to speak. So what happens initially, they blame uh, uh, two fellows who were working in Pennsylvania. Uh, I think the guys were just in a green card, but they had good jobs with the city. Uh, uh, I think it was, it might've been, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, somewhere in Pennsylvania, near Philadelphia. And uh, they put a lot of pressure on them. They lost their jobs, they weren't the guy. Then they went after a doctor in New York 
who uh, he wasn't the fellow either. He put a lot of pressure on him. And I, I read that he lost his marriage because of it. Then they went after a guy named Perry Mikesell. And this is important because Mikesell used to work at Fort Detrick and he was working at Patel. And they put a lot of pressure on this fellow and he starts drinking and he has a liver problem to begin with. And then all of a sudden he dies from supposedly uh, from his, the alcohol problem. Now, Mike so had been talking to Ivans. They knew each other because they used to he used to they used to work together at one time. And then they went after Stephen Hatfield, who was also from Fort Dedrick. And they hound dogged him from 2002 to probably about 2007. And he turned the tables on him. He started drinking too. And he started, you know, getting sickly and things of that nature. And you you have to imagine the constant pressure on you 24/7 when they started you know, start watching you. And uh, then he turned the tables and after they made a circus with uh, search warrants going into his house with the the uh, media there recording it all live. You know, <laughs> here we go. And Stephen Hatfield as, as the anthrax, a person of interest is saying Ashcroft. And he turns it around, sues them and wins over $5 million. Then they go after Ivan's. And they, they connect Ivans because at, at that time, this DNA sequencing had been developed to a flask in his, his uh, supposedly under his care. Uh, it's called RMR-1029. And RMR-1029 supposedly has these morphs, there's four morphs that are variations or, or mutants. And they appear in that, the, the attack letter, anthrax, and supposedly in his flask. And that's where it gets kind of interesting because eventually the National Academy of Science looks at the work that was done and the uh, government uh, uh, operation, government uh, was a uh, government operation, I forget the name of the organization now, GEO. And, and they uh, both uh, say that uh, there's, there's not conclusive evidence that the, uh, the uh, Morse that uh, were in that vial and that and, and that uh, that uh, uh, Ivan's caused the uh, the, the the attacks. Hmm. So uh, that's a. I mean, it's incredible to see that the breakdown of literally everything they're using to make this go a certain way. I mean, it's incredible that we even the, prior to Ivan's numerous arrests or investigations or, or interrogations that lead to nothing that ultimately, as you're pointing out, ruin people's lives. And then you know, finally it gets to Ivan's, who, as you're saying, we're now finding out after the fact, which is what arguably you know, what the FBI should have been doing, probably did, didn't care, is that he didn't have the capability to do the thing that they're saying he was capable of, right? And then on top of all of that, the flash that they're using, which is a huge centerpiece in this whole thing, are, we're finding out now doesn't actually trace back in the way that they say well, it well, does. Here's and, the way it is. That the, right. the, the other agency was the Government Accountability Office that I, that I, I uh, didn't, didn't remember. But this is the key thing with these. Uh, what they don't tell the government is that the flask that Ivan's has, 85% of that came from Dugway. And it came from Dugway on many production runs. And the other 15% was put in there uh, from his another flask that he kept, his own personal flask, 1030. And that was tested by the FBI. That had no none of the morphs in. So all the morphs had to come from Dugway. But uh, what happens eventually, the FBI calls in all the Ames anthrax strains, any samples that uh, laboratories have in the country. They get test over 10,000, uh, over 1,070 samples, and they get eight positives. One is the, the anthrax morphs that are supposedly in Ivan's 1029, and also uh, the uh, there's one having to do with Patel. So Patel had the four morphs. Hmm. What they don't tell the uh, the government or what they don't tell Congress is that Dugway was the source of the the morphs. So what is that ultimately in regard to Dugway versus Fort Detrick, right? In, in regard to the narrative of Detrick and Ivans, it coming from Dugway. What's the relevance of that for the average person? Well, it, it coming from Dugway is that. Uh, when Dugway's supposed to also give their aim strain to the FBI, and they uh, apparently, uh, because what they're supposed to do is supposed to grow it themselves, 
then give it to the FBI who then regrows it, or they have an agency that regrow it. And, and what happens is that somewhere down the line, all of the Dugway samples are non-viable, which means they're not alive. Somebody killed them. And the FBI protocol is that they have to be viable. So if they're non-viable, they can't be tested or they don't test them. They could be tested, all right? They still could be, uh, they, they could test it and, and they, might be, they might be able to find the morse if they're there. But the protocol wasn't to test it, it was non-viable. So Dugway gets away from having to uh, produce or pony up their aim strain and in particular, the aim strain that was going into the flask. So it looks like Ivan's is holding the flask. Now they're saying that he had him totally in his control, but that's not true. And there's documents to indicate that they, they had for the most part or for a good part of the time, they were in an area that was accessible by just about anyone that could get into those buildings. And he was in a totally different building. Later on, he has, he's basically made the custodian of it, I think in 2004. But for years, that's not the case. For years that the, uh, anyone at Fort Detrick that had access to get in there could have. So there's hundreds of people. And then when you talk about the, uh, the Dugway situation, uh, they had hundreds of people too. And then if you bring in Battelle, that could be hundreds of people. So all of a sudden you open up the possibility of people from supposedly this lone wolf who has total access to the uh, anthrax, which isn't true, to the, uh, the, the morph anthrax, where you have hundreds of people have access to it, and he doesn't even have it in, you know, he didn't even get it initially. It was Dugway who sent it to him. Now, what they did is they made a big deal out of the first time he uh, may have been ahead of the curve in a little bit to send them samples, and they rejected his sample because they said he didn't have the proper slats or the proper medium it wasn't grown in. But he, uh, but what the protocol was to give this Paul Kime a this because everybody's supposed to submit two samples. So the other sample went to Kime. So the FBI, the initial sample which they're they're knocking him down on, they destroyed. But Kime kept his sample, and in his sample the Morse were there. All right. So it shows that he wasn't trying to be uh, hide anything from them. The second sample he gave, they said didn't have the Morse. Now that's possible because uh, he may not have understood the instructions, but or also you could take what they call a pinprick, where you take a you know you take a colony of it just really closely, and they may not have it. Versus a the uh, I think the subpoena was saying do a loop gathering, which is I guess a whole conglomerate of, of the mix. So that's basically what the uh, you know they were trying to make a big deal out of that. But he did initially, and, and I was told later on by other scientists a number of times, give him good samples. It's just that that one time they destroyed the sample before they looked at it, and Paul Kime actually kept it. So it wasn't incriminating whatsoever. It's just that anything he did, even when he passed a lie detector test, they had a reason to try and spin it to say, you, he must have mastered how to pass a lie detector test. This so is they were really out to get him. That's what it seemed like. Yeah, and this is what all this is seeming like to me, or the, the story you're painting here, the facts that you're showing us, is that the FBI at every step of this is actively, you know, th this is this is malfeasance. I mean, they're clearly doing the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing. And even to this day, there's plenty of the parts of all the stuff that you're presenting that nobody could argue that the, in, the stuff in the petition, the, the different uh, ex the exhibits, these are all very obviously relevant aspects to this story, the, relevant aspects to any detective or any researcher. It's very, very clear. Really interesting, Ryan, is that they, what the FBI was saying is these were the fingerprints, the Morris. They're not the fingerprints at all. There are fingerprints, but they didn't examine the fingerprints. One is B. subtilis. B. subtilis is a simulant that accompanies, it, it's used, in other words, to uh, pretend that we're using anthrax. Say we want to do an exercise to test the explosives with a tank or something like that. We're not going to use the real anthrax. We're going to use something that's very similar to it. So we use the B. subtilis. It doesn't necessarily kill you, you know. So, but the Dugway was uh, very familiar and they use it all the time. Hmm. And... Uh, and in fact, the, the runs, the production runs that Ivan's was given, the 19 production runs to start the filling up the, the flask he had, the 1,000 milliliter flask uh, from Dugway, uh, at least five of those runs, 
uh, were totally contaminated, they had to uh, destroy them because they had B. subtilis. And a number of the other ones had B. subtilis and they would dilute it and then eventually send him this leader, uh, this, this, uh, this anthrax. Now, Ivan's used this because they were experimenting with, uh, uh, on uh, animals for vaccines. So they needed the anthrax to you know, inoculate the animals. So, uh, the, so the B. subtilis was something that was characteristic of all the investigation we've done thus far with Dugway. Now, the significance is that B. subtilis was found in the first batch of letters that went to Tom Brokaw and went to uh, New York Post and the, the various media. So the B. subtilis was a fingerprint, which the FBI uh, you know, just happens not to uh, concentrate on. In addition, uh, in another fingerprint had to do with the silicone because uh, this, this silicone and the B. subtilis was not in with the magic morphs, with these four morphs that were in this flask that uh, Ivan's had. They were not there, all right? In other words, uh, apparently they were added later uh, to it if, if, the flat, if, the, you know, if the morphs were there. And, and we don't even know where originally the, uh, it came from because eventually, it, originally it came from Dugway. So you can't say it came from Fort Dietrich. It, it gives but, the impression of evidence tampering is what it sounds like. Well, definitely, and selective investigation. Right. The, what happens with the silicon, they find in addition to silicon, tin, which the FBI doesn't like to talk about the tin either. Now, the tin is a catalyst for the silicon. It's this microencapsulation, which brings the silicon into the uh, exposorium. It's inside this, the uh, anthrax, so it's, it's very sophisticated. In past, the, the silicon would be on the outside, but this makes it really uh, uh, dispersible. When you have to think of these uh, a trillion spores, I think of them almost like glass beads, like invisible glass beads. What they've done is they've taken the uh, electric charges or removed it, so it doesn't clump together. So everything is just energized, it's moving. In fact, when they try to look under a, uh, a microscope, it moves off the plate. When they look at it in the test tube, it's crawling up the test tube. It's, it wants to get out, it's energized, it's moving, and they've never seen anything like that. But what happens is the FBI plays that down. They want to look at it more or less as this crude stuff. We'll lock it into these four um, uh, mystical morphs and then end it there. So yeah. right there is when it should have begun and it should have went to the B. subtilis. Now, who has B. subtilis? Well, Dugway has B. subtilis. And who has the aerialization with the tin and the silicone and the iron and uh, oxygen, which was found in it too? Well, uh, with Doug, uh, we'll, uh, uh, Battelle has that. Now, what they don't tell you is necessarily Battelle and Dugway have a joint area in Dugway where they work together. Hmm. So uh, that's where the investigation should have went to the next stage. And now you're talking about high-grade weapons anthrax, and it's something that the Army detected right away and which uh, Battelle was trying to play down along with the FBI putting it down. Yeah, I, I think, and to, to go to one of the things that's in your exhibits, th this is... I think right on exactly why what we're, what it sounds like you're describing is that the idea was to make it appear as if this was something that could have been executed by somebody an Al Qaeda, right? As opposed to an expert. So that's why it seems that like I would take off what you were saying there. Let me just read this real quick, and then you can comment on it. And this this again is this uh, here is the list of the exhibits. Uh, I should show you my other points I was going to show. Uh, these are all the exhibits that are shared in this petition. I recommend, and this will all be included in the show notes, I recommend you all take the time to look through this stuff because it is incredible. And you'll realize very quickly that this is stuff that can't just be dismissed. But now here, this is from uh, two, uh, 2008, August 2nd. It says, in the immediate aftermath of the 2001 anthrax attacks, the White House officials repeatedly pressed FBI Director Robert Mueller, which I find very relevant, to prove it was a second wave assault by Al-Qaeda. By investigators rule, but that investigators ruled that out. Of course, this is talking about a second wave in regards to 9/11 because these things are very connected. After October 5, 2001, death from anthrax exposure of Sun photo editor Robert Stevens Mueller was beaten up. It says during President Bush's morning intelligence briefings for not producing proof that the killer spores were of the handiwork of terrorist mastermind Osama bin Laden who remember was previously in the past, somebody who worked with the US government. They really wanted to blame somebody in the Middle East, it said, retired senior FBI official told the news. Now this is important. It says, but by uh, then the FBI already knew anthrax spilling out of letters addressed to the media outlets and to US Senator was a military strain of the bioweapon. It says, very quickly, uh, Fort Detrick experts told us that 
this was not something some guy in a cave could come up with. And this, they couldn't go from box cutters one week and weapons grade anthrax to the next. Now, it seems quite clear to me that was something they were trying to push. And the idea was that if they went on the stuff that you're talking about, you know, the evidence that was there, it challenges that narrative. Now, what are your thoughts? Well, what happens is, that, no, I think certainly they were. And uh, they didn't get away with it at that time, but they did, in, in a sense, get away with it because they, uh, they, they, they pushed a narrative to the extent what happens with Bruce Ivins is uh, he commits suicide, allegedly. Now, we've talked to two people uh, very close to him who said they think he was murdered. He was under 24-7 uh, surveillance, and uh, he did have some mental health issues uh, before all this began, so this sort of exasperated it. And they blew they blew his uh, his private life out and embarrassed him terribly. They embarrassed him at work, and uh, they basically set him up to drinking. He became drinking too, just like uh, Perry Mikesell did, just like uh, uh, Stephen Hatfield did. And uh, eventually, he supposedly uh, overdoses with Tylenol. There's never an autopsy done on his body, and uh, you know. And so right then and there. The FBI basically concludes the investigation and says that you know he's he's the killer, uh, and uh, and a number of people, in particular for the scientists that we have in our declaration, made declarations there in the exhibits, and uh, two of them are colonels, one's a lieutenant colonel, and uh, they knew Ivan's very close, good, well. They worked with him, and uh, they put their reputation on line that he didn't do that. And they uh, also would direct the attention to uh, some of the agencies that I just mentioned before. Now, what's interesting is uh, Congressman Nadler and uh, Rush Holt wanted an investigation at that time. And also that uh, Patrick Leahy and uh, Senator Grassley weren't uh, content either with what, what happened. But I want to read you that there's one of the exhibits. And there's a, uh, a, a just to show you that the thinking of the FBI is so convoluted. Uh, Nadler's asking about uh, basically Dugway and uh, and Battelle, and because it was known then that they had the capabilities to do it, but nobody was looking at it. And uh, very similar to what we're dealing with today. Just want to yeah, point out. Then Mueller says something like, uh, using various methods, the FBI investigated the two facilities that received samples from the parent flask. Now that's from Ivan's flask, 1029, and it eliminated individuals from those facilities as suspects because. Even if a laboratory facility had the equipment and personnel to make anthrax powder, this powder would not match the spores in the mailed envelopes if that lab had never received a transfer of anthrax from the parent flask. So, so basically what, he, what he's saying is that uh, uh, they received it and then they didn't receive it. I mean, he's saying the same thing. They, they would be suspects if they received the flask, but they didn't, they didn't receive any of the stuff from the flask because they received stuff from the flask. It makes absolutely no sense. It's a convoluted thinking. I've, I've never seen anything like that before. Um, yeah. That's their explanation to the the congressman, to Congress, uh, as far as why they didn't look at uh, Dugway and Battelle. So it's, what we've done now, we're working still on a grand jury petition. This is a, a petition to uh, Congress uh, to basically to get them involved in independent investigation. We're going to be doing, and and you know we're well into a, a petition to. Uh, to the U.S. attorney, and we'll be breaking down the laws that were violated, and we'll be expanding this a, a little bit because uh, we didn't uh, cover everything in here that we want to cover and present to to uh, Congress and and to the uh, to the U.S. attorney. So uh, that's uh, that's where we stand right now. Uh, as I said, that uh, and as you mentioned at the beginning, had this been looked at properly at the beginning of the investigation. Uh, we may not be dealing with some of the stuff that we are do, dealing with today, but the, the government did not uh, do their job and the FBI didn't do their job. And we say they basically it corrupted and obstructed the investigation. And we believe the evidence that we have here says that. And we believe basically their own inspector, Rick Lambert, uh, who was in charge of the investigation for four years is saying the same thing. So we would like to have Congress look at this impartially, objectively, and thoroughly to uh, take it to the next step. Yeah, I'm sure we could all agree that we would like the FBI and Congress to you know, do their jobs. That would be fantastic to see. You know, I, I want just to, to wrap it up here. I think, you know, the, the idea of mental issues is something that continues to be a scapegoat, right? And we all, the idea that it can be, I mean, even in regard to foreign policy, I want to point this out. Like the idea that say Assad 
just wants to, you know, in Syria wants to just gas people because he wants to do it. No, don't try to find logic to it. Don't realize that what he does actually is detrimental to their agendas. It's only because he's a madman. And that's kind of this way that they go, that the way that they lean into these things. So with Ivan's, it's not that he has any motive or that there's any benefit to what he's doing. It's because he had mental issues. And this seems like a common thread in the bad guy boogeyman stories, the narratives by the you know, not just the U.S. government, but in this case, the U.S. government. And that's just very frustrating to see because, as you said, and I was just to quick reference this on the way out, uh, there's there's numerous examples. And there's one that you shared here that w this was Dr. Jeffrey uh, Adamovich, I believe. And this is just a very, very high credentialed person that is openly saying that he strongly believes that Bruce Ivins was not the, the person behind any of this. And then he goes on to discuss why. And there's a lot of this out there. So the point is that nobody's actually doing the due diligence and they're just kind of nailing this in. And I just cannot ignore how very clearly that aligns with what we're dealing with today. No due diligence, no investigation. China did it. China bad guy. And it does, you know, at the end of the day, the point is we don't know on either side. And that's what we want to find out here. And that's why hopefully this can continue. This petition was what actually submitted on October uh, I believe the date uh, I didn't have it in front of me right now, October 15th. October 15th, yeah. right. And that's that's the day that uh, actually uh, Tom Daxel got the uh, petition, uh, got the uh, anthrax letter in his office. So we did that uh, symbolically, I think, to, hmm. uh, to you know, commemorate that that time. Yeah. But no, you're right that the, the, the problem is that you have the wrong people doing the investigations. Hmm. You have the wrong people at the top of these organizations. The organizations aren't set up to... Uh, for integrity they're set up to protect people or protect interests it seems like so we're we, we continually to get in the uh, in a mess and and now we investigate it what's it 20 years later you know you go back to uh, the kennedy assassination so people want an investigation on that how many years is that and it's the same pattern we run uh you know run around and like going around the circle we need to really break out of it and what's happening in the country today is there may be something that's symptomatic of, of all that, trying to break out of and take it to a new, a new level uh, with this, uh, these investigations and these uh, uh, unfortunately corrupt organizations that uh, work for us, work for the government. So uh, again, that, uh, yeah, we, we believe that Ivan's uh, would have never been found guilty in the court of law and that uh, unfortunately he, uh, he died unnecessarily. His family was victimized and that the killers are still loose or have never been prosecuted. Yeah, you know, the sad reality is that, it, it, historically speaking anyway, it may end up being where what you're doing and the excellent work that you're doing and the group that you're working with, that may ultimately be the amount of the, old, the, 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 the truth that we get. Historically speaking, that's the same idea with JFK or with 9-11, that we all, we get to the point where people like you are saying, here's some evidence, it completely changes the story, and it just gets ignored. And that's the sad reality. And I think that's what we need to see as the the American people, as the world, humans in in the on the in the planet, need to realize that governments out there are actively trying to undermine truth efforts by individuals within their countries. And I think that's very that's classic. That's always been there. So what we need to realize is that we need to mobilize as people, not as Democrats, not as Republicans, not as anything other than individuals that care about the truth and stand behind people like David Meiswinkle and people that are out there risking themselves to bring that truth to you and hopefully may one day fight to change the idea that that government can keep that from ever coming to light. So thank you so much for being here, David. I want to ask you one more question before you sure. go is ultimately where do you see this going? I mean, your opinion based on how it's already gone. Where do you, what do you, what's your prediction on what will happen with this petition? I think there's gonna, we have to make more connections with the uh, the Congress people. We've talked to the Rush Holt and I've called the various offices earlier on to just to tell them what we were doing. We hadn't done it. We thought that there was so much material there, we'd give them a little bit of time to digest it and then we'll follow it up. Uh, there was a uh, HR 720, which was the bill that uh, Holt and Nadler was sponsoring at that time. Nadler's still in office. Leahy's still in office. Uh, Russ Grassley is still in office. They all wanted to have an investigation, and uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't be. Now, in the climate today, as, as Francis Boyle says, he thinks that the, uh, of course, that was a, a bioweapons attack, the anthrax, and he takes it up to now today to the COVID and says that that's a bioweapon too. So you can have a, 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 a reasonable argument to say, as we said before, had you stopped this at that time and did a proper investigation, held people accountable and agencies accountable, maybe you wouldn't have 
the controversy we have today as to what is COVID and uh, what's the uh, the purpose of that. Now, I know that's uh, a number of shows for you to get into that subject matter, but basically that's what we are, where we are in a sense. Uh, the same people that were involved in the anthrax with the dark winter were the same people that were involved in the Crimson Contagion, it, it, writing the scripts, et cetera, in, in the various agencies. So you have the similar uh, people uh, basically resurfacing during this period of time that were uh, prominent at that time and uh, doing exercises that really simulated what was uh, really going to be happening in real time. So uh, again, when you deal with exercises, and we're familiar with that, for example, in 9-11, when you had all these military exercises, some of them simulating what was really happening. So you had your air traffic controller saying, is this real time or is this part of the exercise? You know, what's going on here? Very confusing. Anyway, uh, that's what we are. We're very confused and we're supposed to be confused. That's, that's part of the, part of the, what the, uh, the, the intention is, is to confuse the public. I couldn't agree more. And that's just, that's a great point to end on there, David. I think that what we can see is from anthrax even before, but from that story from 9-11 to today, this is the building of this biosecurity state, or as Whitney would call it, the, the bi tri-national security state. And that's what is being, has been being built with this scaremongering. Go ahead. Was, what's very dangerous too, is what uh, Boyle has pointed out, is that this led to a proliferation of these little laboratories all over the country dealing with the bioweapons or biotechnology and splicing genes and doing DNA, what kinds of weird experiments that we haven't the slightest idea what's, what's, what they're doing. So uh, again, coming up to present day, as far as what the, the, the uh, episode with Wuhan and said with the COVID, what, what that's all about, uh, you know, that, uh, as I said, it maybe would have been prevented if this had been uh, properly investigated. So we have to really investigate that too, you know, as we go forward. Uh, everything, that's, that's, unfortunately, the government should be doing these investigations and we should, as the people say, oh, good, you know, I feel good about it. But who feels good about it? Nobody feels good about it, unfortunately, when the government gets to investigate itself, basically. Yeah, and that's so true. I mean, you made a great point right there, you know, that it's the government should be doing this, but it's the people that are doing this right now while they actively step on all the things that the people are trying to accomplish, you know, whether you're talking about Assange or, or what, what you guys are working on or any, any other entity out there that's fighting to expose truth. It seems like at every turn, the government is actively trying to stop that from happening. And it's, it's the same with what you're doing and other, other platforms similar to yours is that you're doing what the legitimate, uh, the quote illegitimate you're the legitimate now you have you guys have become the legitimate media but they're with the so-called abc nbc fox and cbs and all those news broadcasters should be doing instead of parroting what they've been told to do you guys are doing independent journalism you're opening it up creating the dialogue and if there's any opportunity for freedom it's from you keeping the airways free as free as much as you can so we're all indebted to you and we appreciate that well thank you david that means quite a bit to me i appreciate that well to end it here, I think the idea that the same people popping up is a very great point to think about that the same the same people and the same events and the same cover-ups of the past are resurfacing today. And I think that paints the exact picture that we're trying to leave people with that unless we do something about it, the same people will do the same thing. So thank you so much for being here, David. And uh, any, any other things you want to leave us with before we go, social media links or anything like that? Well, yeah, just that uh, what we want to do, the Lawyers Committee, we, we would love to have a giant uh, FOIA campaign as Freedom of Information. In order to do that, though, it's, it, we could create an incredible library of documents which we make public. We're also looking at a, a new a grand jury petition, obstruction, government obstruction and misconduct, which could, would cover all the crimes of 9-11, which would be an amazing. And we've had uh, you know amazing feat if we could pull that off and make connect. We want to connect all the dots. We're not done with this. We haven't even gotten to Shanks door to Pentagon, right? We're we're still, we're at Anthrax. We started with the the uh, the twin uh, twin towers, etc., the World Trade Center. So like all organizations, we need finances to continue. Uh, we're, you know, badly need finances to continue at a high level or even, you know, at least at, at the level we're doing right now. So if, if people would like to uh, support the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, you can at lc4for911.org. It's lc4for911.org. And uh, your finances, your funds or your donations will go to a, a good cause for sure. We'll do the best we can to uh, get behind these crimes and try to take them into the courts, try to take them before grand juries and try to get this, some action. And as you said, maybe this is the most that will ever be done. 
at least we'll document the crimes and people then in the, in the future can look back and look at the material and understand the history. Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, instead of going out there and spending money on GoFundMes for politicians that are being attacked by other politicians, how about we fund something like this that's actually seeking out truth? I recommend you do. Of course, all this will be included in the show notes below. So if you choose to do so, it'll be there for you. Thank you, David, for being here. And as always, everybody out there, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.
I'm <laughs> 